Welcome to the Digital Families Podcast. I'm Leonie Smith, sometimes known as the Cyber Safety Lady. I'm a cyber safety educator and this podcast is all about learning how to use the digital technology in our homes with more safety and balance. My special guest today is Rosie Thomas, the co-founder, co-CEO with her sister, Lucy, of Project Rocket. Her work has been recognised by UNICEF among the 12 Digital Champions for Children's Rights in the Digital Age and was honoured in Washington DC with the International Award for Outstanding Achievement in Cyber Safety. <laughs> as well as a number of local awards and honours, in 2019, Rosie became a recipient of the Order of the Australia Medal. So jealous. Recognising her service to young people and her work against bullying, which is actually extraordinary and she should be recognised. And welcome to uh, the Digital Families podcast. Rosie Thomas, come on down. Hello. Oh, thank you so much for having me in isolation over Zoom. It's so good isolation. to see your face today, though. Oh, I'm getting to speak to so many people at the moment, oh, more people than I used to speak to because uh, we've got the convenience of using this this wonderful platform. Well, I think Rosie. we're all getting pretty good at it as well. Like even my mum, when we first started doing Zoom calls, I had to teach her that, um, you know, she, she has to actually show her face. All I could see was her forehead. She was doing it on her smart home and I, I could just see the up close, the tops of her eyebrows and her forehead, but we got there eventually. Yes, my dad, who's 87, did the same thing. I had to teach him how to use Zoom the other day because he was going into a Zoom meeting and all I could see was his thumb. This, yeah. this like this, <laughs> like, Dad, no. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe it was intentional. Who knows? But um, no, no. Uh, seriously good. not, no. <laughs> so, Rosie, um, tell us a little bit about your background. What led you to becoming involved in this area of, of bullying and also online bullying where did that come from I believe you were pretty much straight out of school yeah so I guess like as a bit of context today Project Rocket is Australia's youth driven movement against bullying hate and prejudice but it definitely hasn't always been that way um so my sister Lucy and I'm a big sister my total hero Lucy and I started Project Rocket when we were really fresh out of high school um and I guess like that, I get that question a lot really is like, why have you dedicated the last 14 years of your life to helping young people stand up to bullying? And I guess the, the next question is like, were you really traumatically bullied when you're at school? Um, and I think my answer often surprises people because I definitely know what it's like to be bullied when I was at school. I was bullied at times. Um, I think as humans, we all know what it's like because sometimes it's, it's, it's hard to remember this, but everybody is capable of bullying behaviours, whether we like to admit it or not. So mm -hmm. I remember what it was like to be bullied. And if I'm honest, I totally remember doing things that I really regret, like being part yeah. of the problem when I was at school. But actually, um, I was most of the time one of the majority of people in a bullying situation. And I know the word now as an adult and a, a cyberbullying expert is, is bystander. But when I was at school, I used to call it the audience member because at mm. times you did feel so paralysed, like, you're behind a screen, which fast forward, ironically, often when we see bullying happen now, we are behind the screen of a device. But I just remember thinking like, I didn't, I, sometimes at school when I didn't stand up, it wasn't because I was evil or I didn't care, I was apathetic. It was actually because I just genuinely didn't know what to do. 
And sometimes I stood up and sometimes, you know, I didn't. And I really regretted that. And I think coming to the end of school, um, I was at a real crossroads, you know, like I'd finished high school. And to be honest, it was pretty anticlimactic, Leonie, because mm. I thought when you finished high school, life begun. And I couldn't wait. I was ready to like unleash myself on the world, like realize my potential, create something. And then all of a sudden I was kind of like, is this it? Like <laughs> is all this time I'd be wanting to leave school and like, my life would begin and yet it kind of hadn't. And at that same time, um, while I was a bit dissatisfied with the status quo, um, I was also reflecting on the fact that I always thought that high school seemed like a real lottery, that looking back, it was kind of like all of us on that very first day of year seven rocked up at school and we all drew like a random lottery ticket. And then based on that number on the ticket, the rest of our school days was just determined for us. So Mm. what I mean by that is that for no rhyme or reason, it was like some people drew a really great ticket, which meant that they were, you know, popular or cool or even teachers paid more attention to them, you know? And we know what yeah. happens to those kids. They get incredible opportunities. They form beautiful relationships. They discover who they are and they have a pretty amazing school experience. You know, they And they school. peak too early often. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes. Sometimes. I mean, how interesting like that, I think. Um, yeah. You know, but I, think- I mean, I've been to probably a, a, a lot more school reunions than you have due to my age. We just, I went to my 40th school yeah. reunion and it's fascinating to see where people end up. My nephew at the moment um, over in Perth, my, he's my partner's nephew, is um, being really badly bullied. He's in year nine and he's having such a tough time. And we were trying to explain that to him on the phone the other day that, it's actually the people at school who might seem the loudest, have the most power, are the most scary that people don't stand up to, that peak, that's, that's it, you know? And so the yeah. point is, though, is that some people, you know, if you, like, if you receive a lucky ticket at school, it doesn't mean that you're a bad person either. Sometimes it just means that people listen to what you have to say, you get great opportunities, and those mm. kids finish high school. And I admit, I was one of those kids that drew a good ticket. They finish, you know, happy and confident and ready to take on the world's opportunities. But... I was thinking when I finished high school, because I was looking at everyone that was finishing school, that some of the kids that I went to school with drew a really lousy lottery ticket that for whatever reason, that's quite astute of you at that age, you know, at, at what you were 17 or 18 to actually take the time to think back on that. Well, because I was remembering all of us when we started in year seven and it was kind of like we're all on a fairly level playing field, fairly, you know, you know, yeah. um, confident, fairly confident, ready, ready to just take on school. You show so much of who you are at that age. And then depending on the way you're treated, you, it's, it's kind of the indicator, the signal as to whether you should show who you are or whether you should hide that away, pack it up. And so the people that drew the bad lottery ticket, you know, might mean that they were judged or laughed at or mocked or even treated like they're invisible. I saw that over time they stopped showing who they were and didn't put their hand up in class as well. And and basically, by the time they finished high school, they were just an empty shell of the awesome kid they were when they started. And so my sister and I, we finished high school and we're sitting around wanting to create something in the world, wanting to make a difference and also realising that bullying was just destroying the lives of our peers, that, that, you know, someone needed to do something about this, that it was no one was reaching young people in the way that actually reached them, that there was lots yeah. of people going into schools and waggling their fingers or talking down at young people or t- calling young people bullies or victims. But yet no one was actually addressing the issue of bullying in a way that really reached young people by young people. And so I guess that's when Luce and I had that moment that was like, well, 
maybe we could be those people. I, guess. <laughs> yeah. like, I mean, I could yes. be us. And I think, Why and not I mean, us? So, <laughs> yeah, well, well, we, like like so many young people, and what I've learned along the years is this movement of Project Rocket is built and collected thousands, hundreds of thousands of other young people is that I was a young, young person that was hungry and restless for change. I was dissatisfied mm. with the status quo. I saw a problem that needed fixing. And for whatever reason in that moment, probably my big sister made me realise that I could do it. We had the, the, the courage, I guess, to give it a crack. We had no ambitions to, to turn it into a business. In fact, as a young person and a young woman at that, that matter, I, I didn't really associate myself like that. We didn't have ambitions to turn it into a grand organisation because we didn't even know if Project Rocket was going to work. There were no anti-bullying programs at the time. But bit by bit, we gave it a crack. And it was built you, essentially and, on... Got, yeah. Um, you, you went to university, both of you, didn't you? Or at least I think you, you yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah, so Luce and I both went to uni. Um, yeah. At the time, I was in my first year of uni. I did a, um, an arts degree um, with a major of criminology. So not super related. I also did it over the course of Well, some people might <laughs> say it's sort of there's a Well, criminal. you could say, but I also, I, my double major was um, classical mythology. So I <laughs> okay. But, um, and in fact, in my seventh year of university, because it took me so long to do my arts degree, Monash mm. University actually called me and said, uh, you do realise you've only got eight years to complete your arts degree. And I was like, see you next semester. So I went and finished <laughs> it. But we were really distracted building Project oh, Rocket. Yeah. Luce, Luce was at um, uni. She did her creative arts, uh, creative arts degree um, and went on to do psychology. And really built into Project Rocket is this idea that rather than stand up in front of the room and talk or lecture or preach, that it's very creative. So very mm. much it's embedded lots of drama and music and action into it. So I guess like part of our upbringing and our experiences at university played a bit of a role but fundamentally it was our experience as young people that kind of drove for the project rocket creation that's interesting that you say that it seems like both of you are very creative in um types of people and um i also come from a theatrical background i went to drama school was a and you're a jazz singer i was a jazz singer i, I failed actress that's <laughs> as 99 oh, well, well, yeah well i was gonna say maybe, maybe you're just waiting for your comeback but the interesting thing that i find is that <clears throat> there are a lot of people out there that work in this space and and it's it's not the same space that i'm working in as you are but a similar space that have that creative side of them because it's one thing to have all the knowledge about what needs to happen but to stand up in front of a, a room full of kids or parents and get that message across in, in, in a creative way and it, you're, you're doing it in a workshop way, it's a performance because you're having Absolutely. to convince that audience to go away from that and create a change in some way. And the, the worst thing you can see is someone standing up in front of an audience and just preaching to the audience and saying, this is how it is, it's my way or the highway, and that, and that audience going away and no one's come out with anything. They've just kind I of... think that's that's the challenge, isn't it? Is that mm. so many of the issues that we address, whether it be you know bullying or and, and I think so many issues that parents have to address as well, they're so stigmatized. And so part of the challenge is even creating a non-judgmental, open conversation for both mm. parties. And I can mm. so mm. see this. I hear this from parents, and I hear this from young people talking about their parents all the time. But as young people ourselves, I think that was our number one challenge. It was like. 
Well, we know exactly what it's like to be sitting in an audience, completely disengaged, being spoken down to and feeling like no one understands us. And so we tune right out or our eyes roll to the back of our heads mm. when we hear the word bullying because we're expecting yeah. the worst. And so creativity was our method of breaking that stigma, of tricking young people essentially into learning. And so, you know, we can't get to that place where we can create real talk and truly listen to the answers of young people and hear their opinions if we haven't built that rapport. And part of building that rapport was actually not talking about the issue of bullying at all for a little while. It was actually, you know, having fun and realizing that we had, you know, a room full of individuals that make up a class, but that young people aren't a homogenous group and that we need to, you know, allow young people to be seen for the different unique person that they are. And and by bringing together a powerful year level of individuals, if you create safe opportunities for them to see each other in that light, they leave a powerful cohort of students yeah, you know, that, some, that share values and what, are empathetic. Because sometimes what I find in classes that I talk to is I know that in that class there are going to be victims of bullying and, and groups of kids that are doing it. And that make that shuts it down very quickly because anybody that wants to speak up and says something is immediately intimidated by the people in the room that are doing the picking on and the bullying and the mean behavior how do you deal mm. with that in a, in a in a large group i guess it's yeah. we've already seen it, not talking specifically about the bullying but you can almost see I, I know you guys get the same thing you can almost see people kind of the kids looking around like this when it's being mentioned because you know there's someone in the room that could be picking on that child Totally. That's oh, you, and you, you can see it up the front, I think. Like, yeah, so, mm. so I guess to explain um, to some of your listeners that the Project Rocket approach, it started off with me and Luce, but we don't run workshops anymore because our approach is that we send really highly trained, passionate young people into schools to teach other young people how to stand up. And sadly, um, we're no longer um, young enough to be doing that work for our <laughs> model, for our particular model. So, yeah. so but, but, but that's okay. powerful because... Um, you know, we use the positive power of peer pressure by sending in um, really diverse young people so that, you know, wherever we travel, it could be Wagga Wagga in Australia, um, you know, a kid can look up on stage and see someone who is like him. Yeah, and, and who he feels he's the only person like that. So, for example, I think of so many of the regional towns that we've gone to um, and I think of LGBTIQ kids that think they're the only kid in their class or their town and then they see someone come in that's a little bit older than them that they identify with as well, that can role yeah. model to the rest of the room, that they, they're someone that can be listened to and that can have respect and can own their own identity. And so first of all, it's quite powerful sending that young person into another room to sort of set that tone. And I guess second to that question around um, how do you um, kind of manage that dynamic when there are people picking on others in a room? And well, first of all, we really operate under the, um, I guess the principle of unconditional positive regard, the idea that when it comes to bullying, that it is a behaviour that everybody's capable of. We actually don't consider, uh, we don't really use the word bully as a noun instead, um, or, or victim as, as a noun, for example. We like to think that there are people that have or are perpetrating bullying and okay. those who are targeted. But the idea so there being is that is you're addressing the behaviour and not labelling the person that's doing it or that's receiving it. You're taking the label out of it and more or less addressing the behaviour. Yes. And I think the important thing there is we're by no means um, making any excuses. In fact, part of our workshops is very much around ownership. 
So owning the behavior that we've had in the past and owning, you know, myself as a high school student who may have made mistakes, like I laughed at somebody when they're upset or, or went along with someone's behavior because I didn't agree with it. We recognize that people make those decisions not because they're just nasty and they can't be saved and they need disciplining, but it's likely that, you know, bullying situations are so complex that school is so complex that, you know, that, that period of a young person's life. And so yeah. we, when we look at um, how to use positive peer pressure for good, so when you start discussing in a room like that power dynamics and why people bully and like, essentially you're naming the elephant in the room. And so mm. in a way, you're not only um, helping young people come up with real strategies they'd actually use that aren't really daggy, but they also, mm. um, you know, you, you're sort of like taking the fear and the stigma out of calling out um, that, that sort of behaviour. But for somebody that is, um, has been doing the bullying, I guess another kind of core principle at Project Rocket is that it's never too late to make a change. And that, you know, some of the big questions that we ask at Project Rocket is, you know, how do you want to be remembered from your days at school? Because I don't think anyone wants to be remembered as the person that was really yep. like nasty, you know, <laughs> made people feel like they couldn't be themselves. But mm. often we don't ask young people those questions. We might berate them for making bad decisions at the time. And mm. often when you label someone something, then they're unable to shed the stereotype that's associated yes, they feel labels. as if that's it that's a that's yeah inevitable that's it for them yeah. but when you reframe things and you say okay but how do you want to be remembered and they might say you know well, i want to be remembered as the funny person from school the one that made everyone laugh so okay yeah. well in order to do that then what what do you have to be well i have to be nice okay well if you want to be remembered as someone that's nice at school then what what change do you need to make and so yeah i think it's it's realizing that young people, um, you know, are autonomous. They're agents of change. But so often we we um, talk down to young people, or we box them in as stereotypes, or we label them, which is you know, young people are so resistant to being labeled, which is one of the yeah. things that I love most about young people. And so, instead, when we ask questions and listen to the answers, we um, put their decisions in back in their hands and enable them mm -hmm. to be agents of change. Yeah, that's something that I do. A I learnt to do with my talks as well, Rosie. I started off probably very much like going into schools, this is now ten over 10 years ago, and talking up the front of classrooms. And now my, my talks aren't talks, they're discussions. I, mm. I basically guide the students and I have points and slides and everything, but I throw it out to them. And what I find is I learn so much from the answers they give me. They totally. also... The benefit of them answering the questions instead of me telling them what the answers are is that their peer group can contribute to that and see um, validation within their peer group mm. that they've come up with those answers, that it hasn't come from a grown-up. This is something that they already know and it's now being validated. But what I what they say and they and they talk about in the talks is so, so valuable. So if you're going totally. into school, you, you you can take that back, that information back with you and then form your way of approaching schools in the future and you can see things changing. And one of the th really important questions I wanted to ask you that I know a lot of parents are concerned about is, are you seeing right now during this pandemic an escalation in all kinds of bullying like amongst that young people, um, online bullying and and just offline bullying, what's the difference online, mm. offline at the moment? We're just totally. living online, aren't we? So are you seeing an escalation in that or is it just becoming more, we're, we're more aware of it? 
Yeah, so first of all, um, I'd say that we're, so at Project Rocket, we're plugged into young people in a number of different ways. So um, through our, our work is now entirely online, but we have run online workshops with young people and that really gives us a, an opportunity to hear what's going on and hear what they're thinking. But we're also plugged into their educators. So we work very closely with educators to make sure that basically what we're doing is relevant and, and helpful. But we also have a Youth Brains Trust and our Youth Brains Trust is made up of a bunch of young people who help steer our organisation and they plug into our, um, our team in a number of ways and provide lots of insights. And the last one that we're plugged into is lots of networks. So other youth services that um, are really, um, some of them down the very pointy end working with young people. And I think um, what we're hearing from all those different um, audiences is really quite different things, which I think is important okay. to flag. So first of all, um, that there's, there's no doubt about it, um, the majority, vast majority of young people are spending much more time online. So mm -hmm. screen time is now not a thing, really, because um, off, education has been wrapped up in that learning too. And so, mm -hmm. um, yeah, the notion of only spending a certain amount of time online a day has gone out the window. And as a result, it means that a lot more, a lot of these issues are playing out more online because um, there's not that face-to-face -face, um, engagement, essentially. And so... Yeah, what we're hearing is some really positive things. So that, um, such as you know, young people really um, stepping up their, I guess their pro-social behaviours online. So really realizing that when all of their um, behaviour is limited to just online, you kind of forced to see people a bit more three-dimensionally because there is no face-to-face. -face. And so people yeah. um, have responded by sharpening their social behaviour online. And so that's a really fantastic thing to see that rather than people writing really reckless things or not thinking about the consequences, they've had to think even further about their consequences and, and essentially have seen people be more kind and more respectful. So I wanted to mm -hmm. start with that because I think that's really important to hear that young people are adapting probably better than anybody right now. But what we will say is that um, uh, the eSafety office recently um, revealed some data that um, image-based abuse, so um, sexting essentially, so um, or private um, private images made public or misused has um, gone up by 86%. Um, and that's it's really huge. alarming to hear. It's huge. And I think that the really important thing to remember there, because like if you're a parent, you know, I, I, I'd hear that as a parent and I'd be terrified. I, I mm. would automatically think, oh my goodness, what is on my kid's phone mm. right now? But mm -hmm. I think the really important thing to remember is, first of all, these are social issues that play out in a technological space. Mm -hmm. And that means that as parents, um, we need to deal with them as social issues and not just technological issues. So removing yeah, the device absolutely. isn't going to help. Um, no. In fact, right now, if you removed a device or limited that device even um, unfairly, it would literally cut someone off from society. So, yes. But what is important to acknowledge is that these issues are complex. So, for example, um, if young people are spending all their time online, um, and they were having relationships with, with lots of other young people, um, whether they be friendships or romantic relationships, everything is now online. So are we having conversations with young people around how suddenly rapidly moving everything online might have implications on those relationships? So some young people might feel a bit of pressure to keep those relationships alive, if you like, um, in an online environment by sharing photos of themselves that they perhaps maybe never would have done had they not been in isolation. So, look, I think we are seeing an increase of those sorts of behaviours um, 
And I think even more so, it's really important to be having the conversations that just because we're in isolation and, um, you know, we're spending all of our time online, the risks still exist and we still need to be mitigating those risks. But we need to be having these conversations with young people in a way that doesn't shame them and instead, um, you know, positions them as people that are capable of making decisions, but just need a bit of help from um, older people that have a bit more experience at growing up, if you like. So what, it, what we're seeing in the news at the moment, for instance, there's a lot of racial vilification going on at the moment, you know, different races being blamed for... Uh, bringing coronavirus into the country and some really awful stuff that's being filmed am amongst some young people. And in the, the press, as far as I know, keeps saying that overall bullying is getting worse. It's actually not improving. You've got a fantastic project there and I'm sure there are loads of other people all around the world that are doing amazing stuff with this. Is it overall, though, improving with all of this stuff going on? That's a really interesting question. I think it depends on how you look at it. Firstly, to address yeah. the um, horrendous racism that is taking place right now. Um, yeah. It's abhorrent, the stuff that's going yeah. on in the media that's directly related to the coronavirus and, and just what's happening in our communities. And I just want to flag that when I think of the main um, media alerts that I've seen around this stuff, it's actually been adults that have been the biggest perpetrators of um, this vilified, ra racial vilified abuse around the coronavirus. Yeah. So just want to name that um yeah that often it can be really easy to see um bullying hate prejudice or racism as a young person issue but actually um you know if you even look at our political systems and what's role modeled to us by the likes of certain politicians that um you know really do role model this sort of behavior then um i think what we're really looking at is a society that is becoming very very polarized you know yeah. a very divisive society and i mean I see this played out all the time on, on platforms that I'm on. Um, and also, you know, that in this time of division, of divisiveness, we're also seeing lots of incredible campaigns of people coming together. Um, and I think all of us have seen that more in isolation more than ever. Hashtags that have taken off, that have, um, you know, poked a bit of fun at coronavirus in a way, but allowed people to come together. I know Project Rocket launched a campaign at the moment that's totally free. It's powered by Facebook and it's called We Got This, essentially. And working in collaboration with other young people, it's about um, crowdsourcing from young people kindness and um, resources and ways in which we can use our online power for good at this time and help bring people together. And I will say that um, as Australia's youth-driven movement against bullying, hate and prejudice, very much tackling racism through the lens of um, understanding and truth and honesty and also kindness is really core to that. So, yeah, look, I think without a doubt, um, in moments of crisis, we see division really rise up and polarisation. But, um, yeah, I think there are a lot of people doing amazing things. And whether or not it's getting worse, I mean, it depends sort of what statistics you're looking at. I think what we can see yeah. right now is that um, offline bullying is actually more common than um, on, on, online bullying in a normal landscape because we're yeah. spending more time <laughs> offline. Um, yeah. But we're spending so much time online now. And I think um, the issue of bullying is often complicated by the very, very public and lasting nature of when it happens online. It's amplified, isn't it? It's amplified. It's more severe. It's, it's more nasty. It's hurtful. It's, it's horrible. Yeah. So one of the other questions that I had for you is that I often go into schools and schools will t tell me that 
the bullying amongst the parent cohort can be pretty bad as well. There might be a teacher that's sort of plugged into social media and they're aware of a, st of, of a parent group. Um, do you think that plays a big part on, on the influences that, that kids ha are having at schools as well, how their parents are dealing with each other? Look, it's not, it's not something that I'd say I'm an expert on, but I will say undoubtedly, like, I know that um, sometimes as grown-ups it can feel like young people aren't looking at you or you're invisible or no one ever listens to you, but actually it's the exact opposite. You know, yeah. that essentially um, young people absolutely look to their communities to see what's going on around them. And I think the point that you just flagged there is that bully, who can bully doesn't discriminate. Like it's ageless. It's, it's sadly, it's timeless and it's ageless. And, you know, bullying is a behaviour that everybody's capable of. So... Yeah, look, I think when um, it's role modelled to young people that um, certain people can get away with behaviour or can um, mm -hmm. use their entitlement or their position of power um, to, um, you know, benefit off others, which is essentially a definition of bullying, then, mm -hmm. yeah, it really does send a mixed message to young people that, okay, well, I thought, you know, the expectations were different for me. And I think, um, you know, when it does come to helping young people feel like they're agents of change, so in doing that, it's like, First of all, um, you know, creating situations where they can actually grow empathy, right? So they need to learn their morals, their, their values, what they stand for. They need to see other human beings as valid and, and for who they are. They need to have strategies that they're actually going to use that are mapped onto their level of risk that they're willing to take. And they need to be motivated. You know, they need to know that if they give it a crack, then it could have a good experience. Um, but in order to do all of that, you need to motivate parents and educators because it's, it's not enough to just say to young people, inspire them for an hour or, you know, tell them that they can when they go into their school or home environments and it's modelled to them that they can't. So I think, yeah. Um, yeah, it's so important to me making sure that educators and parents are not only backing young people and lifting them up as agents of change, but also being responsible, kind citizens of the world themselves. So what the other thing that I hear a lot of from parents is they feel there's no consequences often for a child who has been bullying their child, for instance. If you were um, a parent of a child who was, um, you discovered was bullying another child, what would, advice would you give to a parent about how to approach that so that all of that stuff that you just said about the yeah. empathy and all that sort of stuff gets through. What are the steps that a, a parent should take if they find out that their child is actually bullying another child? Well, I think um, first and foremost, oh, if they find out their child is bullying another child. Yeah, so yeah. it's your child. The child is the one that's doing that. Yeah, so first of all, um, as a hope, maybe a bit of a wake-up call, I hate to sound controversial, but it's likely that your child has at some point in their life. Who hasn't um, treated another mm -hmm. human poorly in some way in our lives? And so mm -hmm. first of all, um, to just know that it is going to happen and that you should be on the lookout, that it might be easy to think that our children are innocent cherubs, but everybody in different situations is going to make mistakes. And so first of all, where possible, it's having these conversations ahead of time. It's yeah. so hard to talk to a young person without that mom or that shut down mm. sort of mentality in the moment because it's so yes. stigmatized. So I think first of all, it's creating those open lines of communication ahead of time and talking about values. I mean, values really are the principles that guide what's okay and what isn't okay. They exist in us as individuals. They exist in us as families, as cultures, as communities. And so I think like, 
creating that language ahead of time that you can use later in a way when you're reacting to harm, um, it, it creates a shared language of expectations and boundaries that mean that you can quickly get to the point to say, to ex explain, you know, how you've been let down essentially. So I think like having those um, conversations ahead of time, um, mm -hmm. second of all, when it happens is to don't be afraid to, um, to, to first of all, listen and um, recognize that um, there are always two sides to a story and that, yeah. um, you know, people don't usually um, bully others for absolutely no reason. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not blaming the victim in that regard. I'm, I'm saying that what's going on for, you, for your child? Is there, is what, why are they behaving that way? What was their motivation for doing that at the time? So yeah. before leaping into um, criticize or judge or berate or, or ignore, which would be the worst possible thing that you could do, stop to ask why and listen to those answers without judgment, without needing to leap in and, and correct in any way. Um, and I think finally it's working with the school as well, is that the school has a duty of care for all students. Um, schools have anti-bullying policies and they're available yep. publicly. And so um, don't be afraid to call, um, you know, make an appointment with your, um, your teacher to ask for those resources so that you can access them and view them. And, and talk to the teacher about how you're going to be able to work together to make sure that at home and at school, um, you know, the expectations are really clear. So I think first and foremost, though, when it comes to working with young people, it's, it's trying, trying, trying not to jump in too quickly and judge and really recognising that um, there's a lot, there's likely a lot going on that you don't know about and it's going to yeah. take a little bit of time to understand that. So on the flip side, if it's your child yep. that is being bullied, what advice and steps should you know yeah. can you give parents to cope with the fact that you've found out and sometimes for parents it takes a long time i've heard many stories from parents who've said to me that they had no idea that their child was being bullied for actually quite a long time and it it may have been going on for years and then all of a sudden they they managed to find out what's been going on absolutely i think um first and foremost is um yeah, just recognizing and perhaps even remembering as, as, a, as an adult exactly what that shame feels like to be mistreated in that way, to feel that self-doubt creep into you that, that makes you feel like you're all alone or that you don't want to talk about it because you're embarrassed, basically. You're feeling withdrawn and when you're feeling withdrawn, you're low energy. So I think as a parent, we can start looking for those signs. Um, yeah. You know, if, if we all, you know, understanding as well that as teens, um, some of those signs like locking themselves away in the bedrooms are just the hallmark signs of privacy. <laughs> I mean, right. um, but, but also, um, again, it's having those conversations, I think, ahead of time as well to just reiterate that, um, you know, if something's ever not okay, you can always come to me. Or if it's not me, setting up people in advance who they would feel comfortable talking to. You know, for mm -hmm. me, it was a cousin that I had or it was my older sister. And I remember actually at the time, like as a kid growing up, um, my mum had asked me if I was okay if I came home from school and was a bit quiet and um, um, I wouldn't tell my mum I didn't really tell my mum much to be honest yeah but she'd say do you feel like having a talk to loose or is there someone else that you want to talk to and that was something that as a young person I don't think I'd considered doing but I did do as a suggestion so I think mm. like recognizing the signs and having those um, those um, pro-social reach out behaviors set up ahead of time and again not jumping to fix the situation recognizing okay. that as adults it's really easy to say oh well this is what you need to do you need to tell them that you don't like being treated like that 
when instead we, we forget what it's like to be 14 years old and to be at school and to remember that, you know, the things that we do at school, we're going to be reminded of from 8.30 to 3.30 every day for the remaining time so, at school. So, so what you're saying, um, Rosie, is it's important for the kids to, uh, or young people to voice their approach um, because it may not, because that's what suits them. And, and then your advice may, coming over the top might actually squash their ability to sort the uh, issue out themselves. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, like I think first of all, um, yeah, yes, basically. Um, yes, it's, it's um, listening, it's truly listening, right? So okay. with an, and I know it's sometimes we can be so clouded in fear and worry that can, we just want to jump in and we just want to fix things. But it's really important part of the process, um, especially that autonomy, young people feeling like they can manage their own mental health and they can be resilient. It's so important to have guides in our life, like our parents, and also that sometimes our parents do know better than us. And sometimes if we are being unsafe to ourselves, it's really important for a parent to intervene. But essentially, these are opportunities to grow resilience and strength of character. So rather okay. than pummel and squash those skills, it's an opportunity yeah. to say, okay, well, I'm going to ask a few questions instead. Questions like, okay, well, what are some options of how we could handle this? And get them to come up with the options and where possible work together to um, work out the best outcome for the situation, whether it be mm. talking to a teacher, whether it be um, trying a few comebacks or speaking to a friend. And ultimately, sometimes this isn't always possible. Sometimes a parent yeah. will need to intervene and go straight to sometimes, school. Yeah, and well, it, like sometimes parents just feel totally helpless with that, don't they? They yeah. don't have the answers themselves. What they Absolutely. want to do is to race down to that school and then protect their child in whichever way they do. And this is something that um, I hear from a lot of parents. They're going to go to school and um, have a go at that child that's been, which is, of course, the worst possible thing that you can do. Yeah, and I think, like, I can totally understand that tendency, but, like, stop, take a deep breath, stand on the balcony and look down for a moment because, oh, my goodness, it will make things so much worse for their, their young person, but also you're missing the opportunity of growth. You know, I think today we shelter young people so much. We have so much fear and apprehension, particularly online, that young people don't have the opportunity to develop their resilience. If you look yeah. back, I, I developed my resilience through failure and through risk and through adversity, not through great times and being protected by my mom. So mm. like, yes, we need to create environments where we know that if they fall back, we can push them back up, but we're yeah. not gonna squash their ability to develop their own sense of character and their ability to back themselves. With the, you know, resilience is essentially the next time something goes wrong, you go, oh, as a kid, I, I've been here, I can get through it. Mum's yeah. here if I need to talk to, but you know, it's developing those, those really important adult skills as well. Yeah. So if um, a parent does feel um, pretty helpless in the face of that and they, and they need immediate help, where would you suggest that they go for professional help other than just the school to try and sort it out? Yeah, so great question. I think um, if things are happening um, online or offline, um, there's lots of resources online that you can actually use. Um, so there's reachout.org, which is absolutely brilliant when it comes to parent resources around a whole bunch of different cyber-related issues, bullying, mental health. Um, and there's also um, hotlines, I guess, that you can actually talk to. Um, so Kids Helpline is for, is for children, and we would really yeah. recommend that. Um, but, you know, if, if you do need to get, to get advice, you can 
can also um, get in touch with the e-safety office. If something's mm. online and um, you, it has been reported and not been taken down, they do have a cyberbullying scheme which allows you to actually um, make a report yourself. So, yeah, I guess there, there are some different um, options there and that's when things are really, really down the pointy end, I think. Ultimately, the school does have a duty of care. If you're dealing with one teacher that really isn't listening, um, then I suggest that you do speak to another teacher and ultimately... Keep going um, higher. <laughs> keep, keep going, keep, keep going, going higher, essentially. Yeah, um, yeah I think at, at the end of the day, um, yeah, if, if you're worried, the important thing is that you need to be heard and you need to be listened to. But I think the most important thing is that your young person needs to be platformed in that moment and really, really heard and listened to as well. Yeah, Rosie, you sound very positive I think about things in, in in this world that we're living in at the moment where it is that people keep saying it's unprecedented and of course it is and trying to explain to my kids that you know this isn't real life we don't normally have this bushfire and, <laughs> and yeah. a pandemic and you know yeah. they haven't even started looking for jobs and they have no clue where their future is going to be um, do you feel really positive do you feel positive about about young people and being able to manage their friendships and all the stress that they've got to manage as well that could lead to incidents of cyberbullying through the pressure that they're under. Do you feel really positive about these outcomes? I feel very positive. You can probably gather. Look, I'm oh, yes, just there's person, a hint but, there. <laughs> but I'm, um, but I'm, a, I'm a pragmatic optimist. You know, I, okay. I'm informed. My optimism in, is informed and that's because um, of the work that we do, that we get to see young people at their best. We get to see um, the power created by young people with young people when you believe in them, when you position them as people that are capable of change, people that can be kind, people that can use the digital world for good. And so as a result, we get to see all the, all the really positive outcomes of young people challenging bullying, young people reaching out to each other, young people using this time to... Um, develop incredible skills while they're in isolation or to um, develop support programs for their peers or to help seniors to connect to technology during this time to make sure they're not isolated. I think the important thing to remember is that when we see harm online or in person, whether it's perpetrated by young people or older people, it is a minority. And, and it can be really, really yeah. hard to remember that because the spotlight is always on the people doing yes. the wrong. But what we're trying to do at Project Rocket is reorient the spotlight away from that and onto the majority of people that are doing the right thing. Because we need to create new new societal norms because the norms that we're, we're suggested to us say that all young people are using technology to harm each other or that bullying is right. But that's not the case at all. And if we send that yeah. message, then it's saying to young people that's all they are when we yeah. know very, very different. So, yeah, I am very optimistic, very, very full of hope. But it's completely grounded in the evidence of the work that we do and, and the way we see young people thriving every day. That's a great message for parents. I feel completely um, fine with everything for my for my kids now, Rosie, after talking to oh, you. Oh, excellent. Cheap magic <laughs> wand. Magic wand. <laughs> Thank you very much for, for being my guest today on um, Digital Families Podcast, Rosie. And you have a wonderful day down there in sunny, sunny Melbourne. Um, and I look forward to speaking to you again um, catching up with you again soon another time thank you so much for having me 
Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Digital Families podcast, everyone. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review or some feedback on YouTube or your favourite podcast app. I love to hear what you think. Maybe you've got a suggestion for a potential guest in the future. I've got some great guests coming up in the next couple of weeks. Tune in again next week for our next chat about all things digital and how it affects your family. Thank you.